Well, good morning, family. So good to be here this morning. We're in the midst of a new study in Titus. If you were here last week, you knew that already. We learned last week the Apostle Paul left his young friend and pastor Titus on the island of Crete, an island of ill repute. It had a notorious reputation for violence, for piracy, for theft, for dishonesty, lying, immorality, drunkenness, and greed. Verse 5 here in, in our text in Titus chapter 1 tells us why Titus is there. It says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. Paul has left young Titus in charge of young churches and of fledgling believers to continue the process that Paul and Titus began, the process of founding churches, establishing churches. And so Titus's mission is to finish what they started, to finish building the churches. Not building buildings, not building programs, but building the church, the real church, the people of God, building these people into maturity. Other churches that Paul wrote to, other letters we read, we read Galatians and Colossians and Ephesians, and we'll read other letters that Paul wrote. And typically, the churches he's writing need reformation. They need change. Something's wrong. Something is, is, is rotten in the church. But that's not the case here. The work needed among the Cretan churches is the continuing process of formation. They're just beginning the process. It's like the little fellowships that our brother is, is beginning on, on Java. They are they're in need of formation. They're just young believers. In a place like Crete, how do you build churches that survive, much less thrive? How do you build vibrant churches that make a lasting impact for Jesus Christ in the midst of a pagan society like Crete or in 21st century America or 21st century Java? How do you build churches that thrive and make a lasting impact for Christ? Last week in the first four verses, we saw that, that it begins with having people who are world changers for Jesus Christ. Its example we see is in the, we saw last week was in the life of Paul. Now today we'll see Paul in beginning his instructions for Titus in how to build such churches. Number one job for Titus in this endeavor is found in the next phrase of verse 5. We said at the beginning of verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order, what was lacking in order, and he goes on, appoint elders in every city. Essential to having godly, vibrant, healthy churches is having the right leaders. Leaders, leaders are needed. A few weeks ago, I went into my garage and I pulled out some lumber that I had purchased uh, a couple of months before. 
I pulled it out so I could stain it to get it ready to install on my deck. I had carefully selected all of that lumber when I purchased it. But as I got ready to work, I called out to my wife. I called out to Janet. I complained. I said, you know, I've got a bunch of of Washington politician lumber. It started out straight. And then it became warped and twisted and crooked. So I'm getting some new boards. Because if we try to build with a bunch of crooked boards, we end up with a mess. And so Paul gives some essential instructions to Pastor Titus and these fledgling churches on selecting church leaders who help build the foundation of a good church. Verses 5-9, through nine, we see those instructions. Again, we already read verse 5, so let's just pick it up in verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy Word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Paul uses several words in these verses to describe these leaders which help us to understand who they need to be and what they need to do. What are we looking for in these, in these leaders and what do we need them to do? First, there are two details to note as he, in these words he uses. The first, he uses the words or little phrase, Appoint elders in every town. These elders are local. Leadership in the church is to be local, not some distant city far removed from the people. It's local. Secondly, these leaders, it's plural. Appoint elders, plural. This this little island of Crete, it's not tiny, but it's not very big. I haven't compared it to the size of Java. I should do that. But um, the, the, none of the cities are that big. They're, they're, they're not huge. And so when he says appoint elders in every city, it's probably just one church in every city. And so he's saying there's multiple elders in each church. Those two details, local and plural elders, That keeps the leadership connected with the people that they lead. And it also keeps the leadership accountable. Accountable to one another and accountable to the local church. May I say, by the way, just a little side note. If you ever find yourself in a church where there is one leader, one pastor, so to speak, who who is the elder, unless that's a church of ten people, or so, unless it's very small and and fledgling, just getting started, run. Because that's not the biblical model. 
There is a multiplicity of, of the elders, of the leaders, and within that multiplicity there is accountability. That's a significant thing to note. And it's a big problem in a lot of churches in our day and in our country. Note next, I want to note, we saw two details. I want to notice two names that he uses for these leaders. In verse 5, he, he called them elders. The Greek word for that is presbyteros. Presbyteros is where we get that word presbyterian. Or presbyteros, I should say. And literally, it means older. Like in the, it's used that way often in the, in the, in the Bible text, just to mean older. Like in Luke chapter 15, you know the story of the prodigal son. The son that stayed behind was the older son, the presbyteros, the Presbyterian son, the Baptist son ran off. No, sorry. Little joke. <laughs> A very little joke. <laughs> But it's used some way, just sometimes just as meaning that, just older, but it also is used, if you go back to the Old Testament, you will see that word older or elder used to describe the leaders of Israel. And as the church began in the book of Acts, you will see that what emerges, the leaders initially in the church are the, are the apostles. But very quickly, as you trace your way through the book of Acts, what you'll see is that as churches are begun, they transfer the leadership to the elders, to the local elders in the churches. And obviously the term doesn't simply mean older men. What it implies is those who are spiritually mature. The emphasis of this title is leaders who are mature in their faith and who lead by example. They model the faith well. Elders are models. They're mature. Another word, another name he uses for these leaders in verse 6 is he speaks of overseers in verse 7. It's for an overseer. That's the Greek word. Episcopos, from which we get the name Episcopal or Episcopalian. The Episcopos is sometimes translated, if you have a King James, uh, it may say bishop. It's the, simply the word that, a word that means overseer. It means to superintend, to take care of. And so while Elder tells us a little bit about who these people are. They're the mature folks who lead by example. The word episkopos or overseer tells us a little of what they do. They manage, they superintend God's flock. And so, by the way, these are just two of several names in the Scriptures that are used interchangeably for the same group of leaders. Here you see elders or presbyteros and bishops or overseers, episkopos, used for the same people. We'll find it in, in there are several others, one of which, and I'll just note it because it's a word of note, that is used equally with those two is the word in our English, pastor. In Greek, it's the word poimen. And you'll see it in this verse, in 1 Peter chapter 5, you'll find all three together in one verse. So I exhort the elders, the presbyteros among you, to shepherd or pastor, poimen, the flock of God, 
that is among you exercising oversight. That's that word episkopos. All three words to describe the same group of people, these elders. Their character is elders. Their job is to shepherd and to oversee the flock. And so it's significant the names that Paul uses here and there and other ones that are used throughout the New Testament. But we're sticking with our text here. Lastly, Paul uses... Um, and by the way, it's also just worth noting that there is no... All, you can look all the way through the Scripture. There is no office of pastor in the church. There's an office of elder, but not an office of pastor. A pastor, the Pastoring is a function of elders. Elders are to, as we see here in 1 Peter, to shepherd, to pastor the flock. It is also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it is a spiritual gift, but it is a function of the elders. I do not run this church, is what that means. Rightly so. The elders run this church. I am a leader among and with alongside of the other elders. And there is mutual accountability that is biblical. It's good. It's healthy. And I thank God that's how this church functions. Lastly, Paul uses two words that describe their work. He's used two details that help us understand, two names that help us understand, two words that describe their work. Verse 7, it's for an overseer as God's steward. That word steward, in the first century, a steward was someone who was charged with managing uh, the affairs of his employer. He, he would take care of the estate, the businesses, all of the, the affairs of his employer. That was a steward. And it was a high responsibility. And this term emphasizes the significance of the leadership of the elders in a church. It also, by the way, emphasizes their great responsibility and accountability to the owner of the church who is God. Your elders bear a significant accountability before God. Another term that he uses that describes the work of these leaders down in verse 9, it says that he, this leader, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Another work, another job of these leaders is they are to hold firm. They're to hold firm to the, the Word, to the Word of God as taught. He means here taught by Jesus and taught by the apostles. For at the time that, that Paul is writing this to Titus, much of the written Word is still being written. Elders need to hold firm to the Word of God because there is a constant tendency for, for churches to drift, for Christians to drift away from the Word of God. And to follow opinion, to follow fads, to follow people, to follow everything but the Word of God. And, and the elders are supposed to hold tightly to the Word. Hold firmly to it. And therefore, part of their job description, he goes on next, is they are to be teaching the truth of God's Word and they are to guard the flock from those who contradict it and distort it. Next week's lesson is all about that. Quickly, we need to run through the next thing I want to call our attention to is the qualifications for the elders. 
I count 18 different qualifications for the elders here. You might count in your way of counting uh, one or two more or one or two less. But I see 18. Obviously, even if we had another 30 minutes here, we really couldn't go through every one of them. So I do encourage you to take the little sheet that you've got and you can take some time and read through and, and look at those. Just to help us get through them quicker, what I have done is kind of sorted them into four categories, four groups that help you get a kind of a, a more bigger picture of what these are. First, there's an overarching quality that he lists here in verse 6. He says that elders are to be, verse 6, if anyone is above reproach. That kind of is the, the umbrella that everything else falls under. Above reproach. If you have the NIV, some other translations, it may say blameless. You know, you're probably familiar with, with the, the old real estate saying, the key to real estate, there's three keys to real estate. You know what they are? Location, location, location. You've all heard that. Well, there's three keys to leadership. Character, character, character. It's all about character. We tend to look for leaders. Let's be honest. When you and I tend to look for leaders, what we tend to look for is we tend to look for folks who are engaging, who have charisma, or they have high skills, high abilities, or they have wealth, or they have education, or they have power, they have fame, they have something that draws us to them. We look to that and we go, there's a leader. But God says when we look for leaders in His church, character is number one. Probably why we have so much problem, by the way, in our nation. We need leaders of character. The early church, it's a problem not just with the early church, it's a problem in our church today that we tend to get church we get tend to get leaders for all the wrong reasons but it isn't just a problem today back in the early church around 480 a guy named Jerome wrote this he said many build churches nowadays their walls and pillars of glowing marble their ceilings of glittering with gold their altars studded with jewels yet to the choice of Christ's ministers no heed is paid May God prevent us as churches from getting the eye on the wrong ball and looking to buildings, looking to programs, looking to attendance, looking to, to uh, you know, whatever it is, nickels and noses. What's essential in our leaders is not the ability to track those things or do things. It's what's their character. It's the overarching thing. In character... Uh, he says here it's all about someone who is above reproach. C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this, a man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. It's all about character. 
Above reproach, though, when we think about that, we're looking for above reproach, or again, some of your translations say blameless, we think, whoa! Does blameless mean perfect? The answer is no. Above reproach does not mean that they are sinless, without sin. Rather, it means they have an exemplary life. It means that charges won't stick against them. They will be people like Daniel. You remember the story of Daniel back in Daniel 6? His enemies were looking for some way to bring him down, some charges they could put against him, and they couldn't find any. That's what it means. Later in this letter, Paul will say that our speech should be of such that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Wow. Could that be said of every one of us? People looking at your life, looking at mine, if they could take a little window and look into your home, look into your business, look into your life, and they can't find anything bad to say about you. You're not sinless. It's just when folks look, they go, wow. Truly is a good man, a good woman. John Calvin put it this way. He said, by blameless, Paul does not mean someone who is free from every fault, for no such man could ever be found. But he is one marred by no disgrace that could diminish his authority. He should be a man of unblemished reputation. Secondly, Paul gives us some He begins into detail these qualifications. That's the big umbrella above reproach. Under that, he gives us a list of family qualifications. This man should be a husband of one wife, which raises all kinds of little issues for debate here. Can can an elder have been divorced? Can an elder have been widowed? Can can an elder be single? Uh, We don't have time to address those lots of those questions today. What is crystal clear... Get past the little sideline things. Let's get what's crystal clear is this phrase is both quantitative and qualitative. Quantitative, he has one wife. Qualitative, he's devoted to her. Literally, the phrase is translated, the husband of one wife is translated this way, a one-woman man. By the way, this qualification also clearly indicates, in case there's any question, that elders are to be male. Not because men are smarter. Not because men are more qualified. Simply because this is the church of Jesus Christ and He makes the rules and His Word says so. Ladies, I admit, half the time, most of the time, you you all are smarter than us and you're, you're much more efficient. But God put men in charge, probably exactly for that reason. Because if He didn't put us in charge, we wouldn't do anything. I don't know. That's my opinion. (laughs) We'd sit back and let you do it. We'd be happy. God said, no, you get up and you do it. You lead. Okay. Thirdly, He says here that His children are believers and not wild not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination, in other words, wild and disobedient. Again, there's room for debate with some of the details, but the point is, as Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.5, he says, For if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? In other words, leadership begins at home. 
And if this man does not demonstrate leadership at home, he shouldn't be leading in the church. And by leadership, spiritual leadership, godly leadership in his home, don't put him in charge of the church. Next, he moves from family qualifications to specific character qualifications. Again, they're all listed here. I'll just read them quickly. There's, there's 11 of them, five negatives, negatives and six positives, and they're pretty self-explanatory. They don't need a lot of explanation. He says they shouldn't be arrogant, not arrogant. He says they shouldn't be quick-tempered. They shouldn't be a drunkard. They shouldn't be violent. They shouldn't be greedy for gain. They should be hospitable. They should be lovers of good. They should be self-controlled. They should be upright. They should be holy. They should be disciplined. That's a mouthful of stuff. And I'll tell you what, to everyone who is in leadership, every one of our elders, I know we look at these things and we go, wow. <laughs> That's a convicting list. Because again, none of us are perfect. We wrestle with these things. By the way, I should just add here, there is one office, there is another office besides elder, that elder slash overseer slash pastor that's mentioned in the Scriptures, and that is the office of deacon. The, the responsibilities, the job description of deacon is left pretty open. The word itself means servant, and the appearance from the way it's used in Scripture is that the deacons served under the elders. They were the, the servants, the helpers of the, of the elders. And... Titus doesn't mention them probably because you don't need the helpers if you don't have the leaders. You don't have the elders. Timothy, to, as Paul writes to Timothy and the Ephesian church, which is much bigger and much more established, he gives qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 for elders. Then he gives qualifications for deacons. And it's significant to note that the, the qualifications of both are almost identical. What is missing from the list of qualifications for deacons is the apt to teach, the ability to teach. And, and so it would, assume, it would seem that the, the responsibility of the deacons is not the teaching aspect of the role, but they lead in many other ways. And that's in, in this church, that's how it functions in terms of the elders lead in spiritual matters. The deacons assist and help the elders taking care of the myriad of the fiscal and physical needs of the church. And they form a team, but they are both significant positions. They are both spiritual positions which have basically the same qualifications. Just notice what a contrast these qualities are to the culture in Crete. It is everything that Cretans aren't, these men are supposed to be. Paul is likely having Titus appoint elders, leaders in the church now because whenever they first got to the island and started preaching and started bringing people to Christ and started founding churches, nobody was qualified. It's only now, perhaps a year or two or so later, that the time, enough time has gone by to grow and to mature some men who are competent and qualified, I should say, mature enough to be elders. Fourthly, there are another list of set of qualifications in verse 9, and they are doctrinal qualifications or ministry qualifications. These are the only qualifications 
that are about knowledge and skill rather than about character. And we read the verse earlier, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word of, as taught by Christ, the apostles. He must hold the, firm to the trustworthy word as taught. These elders, these leaders need to know and they need to be committed to the word of God then going on so that they may be able to give sound instruction. They may be able to teach. And maybe be able to rebuke those who contradict it. They'll be able to defend the faith. Again, more on those next week. Quickly, three applications very quickly. First is this. Chapel of the Lake, give thanks for your leaders. I tell you what, I am... I continue to marvel at how blessed we are in this church with the tremendous number of godly, mature men. That is a blessing from God. I am honored and blessed to serve among dedicated, tremendously gifted, and very godly elders and deacons at this church, as well as scores of other leaders of ministries and things along with them. We are blessed as a church. Thank God for that. Secondly, along those lines, you need to be praying for your leaders. They face challenges. A lot of challenges. And they face responsibilities before God and accountability to God. And let me tell you, that frightens me to death. Would you pray for me? Because would you pray for your elders? Would you pray for your deacons? Because we are mere men. And we're, we're, you know, we're out of our league here. We need the grace of God. We need the help of God. We need the strength and wisdom of God. Along those same lines, pray for your leaders. Every year we have as a church, we have... Uh, we cycle some of our elders and deacons off and bring new ones on. And this fall is the time when the process is going on as some new ones are, are chosen. And that's a huge process as we see here. It's significance. It's a prime importance in these churches. And it's in prime importance in our church that we have the right men in leadership. So would you be praying for that this fall? Thirdly, you might say, hey, look, I'm not an elder, not a deacon. Really don't plan to ever be one. This is still for you. If you look back over this list, and again, I encourage you to go through the list and check it out, you realize that most every single thing on this list, in one way or another, is a quality that every one of us should aspire to. And if nothing else, as we look at this, what we should do is, is we should aspire to be this person, to be qualified to fill this role. Imagine an entire church, not just leaders, but an entire church that lives out these 18 character qualities. What power, what testimony that church would have to a world watching. Sadly, in most churches, not even the leaders live up to this. So we ought to view this list as a mirror. A tool to help us examine our lives and our shortcomings and then prayerfully seek God's help 
to correct whatever needs correcting. Mark Twain, famous author, humorist, lecturer, often called Missouri's favorite son. He was many things, but sadly, one thing Mark Twain was not was a follower of Jesus Christ. The reason he gives for that is church leaders. As he grew up, he knew elders and deacons who owned slaves and abused them. He heard men use foul language and practice dishonesty during the week after speaking piously in church on Sunday. He listened to ministers of the Gospel abuse the Scriptures. Though he saw genuine love for Jesus in his mother and in his wife and some other Christians, he was so disturbed by bad teaching and poor examples of church leaders that he became bitter towards the things of God never became a follower of Jesus. The right leaders is essential to build a vital, healthy, thriving church. Praise God, chapel, you guys have got good leaders. But again, let's all be praying that we all live up to this. Amen. Father, we needed this this morning. Good stuff for us to hear. The reality, all of us struggle with some of these things. When the mirror is held up of of Your Word, we see very clearly all the warts and blemishes and the, the issues in our life. And Father, we come this morning, we confess these. We ask that we would, You would use the, the water of the Word. That you would use Your Scriptures to cleanse us. That Your Holy Spirit would purify us and You would change us from the inside out that we might be those who live such godly lives, as Paul would say, among the pagans, so that those who oppose us would be ashamed because they can find nothing bad to say about us. And that what would happen instead is when they see Christ in us, they would be drawn to Him. That's what we desire, Lord. That You lead us so clearly that You shine through us and lead others to You. So we pray in Jesus' name.